I invite you to stand as you are comfortable for the reading of the gospel. From Mark chapter 5. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So Jesus went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? Jesus looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, Jesus said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this they were overcome with amazement. Jesus strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Which sermon do you want to preach? I remember my eyes widening a bit when my supervisor on internship just a few years ago posed that question to me. I was preparing for my first sermon in that context, and honestly, I was pretty annoyed with the whole thing. I was annoyed that we were living in a 
Nevada and it was 110 degrees outside. I was frustrated that my supervisor required me to present my sermons to him ahead of time. By that point, I had half a dozen sermons under my belt and I felt pretty confident in my preaching abilities. For me, sitting in his office going over my manuscript with him was, well, let's just say not my biggest hope. We had very different preaching styles, and honestly, I let my own frustrations about everything pile onto me in that meeting, and I asked, what do you mean? This is the sermon I want to preach. I think he really tried hard not to laugh. I hope he tried really hard not to laugh, but still a slight chortle escaped. He said to me, I get that, but you maybe have a five-point sermon here. That is to say, there are maybe five different sermons in this one sermon. Which sermon do you want to preach was a nice way to say, what point are you trying to make? I stared at him, and so then I listened. I listened to the feedback that I knew in my heart of hearts was wrong. I took notes, I gave thanks, and I went home, and I unloaded on my husband, Greg. I said, this is my first sermon here. He hasn't even heard me preach. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And Greg nodded and smiled and supportive husbands the whole time. And so then I said, I'm going to go over it with you before I start rewriting. And Greg nodded and listened. And afterwards, he looked at me, I think a little unsure of what to say, because his response when he finally did speak was, well, which sermon do you want to preach? <laughs> No! <laughs> what? It is one of the most common comments for preachers. I had given that feedback to colleagues the last several years myself. I'd given that same advice, which really boils down to don't try to do too much. Try to stay focused. Try not to get overwhelmed. It's good advice, not just for sermon writing, but for life in general. And for me, for sermon writing, it's advice that I try to heed. The problem is, on a Sunday like today, because I found it really hard not to do too much, to stay focused, to not get overwhelmed by God's word for us today. There are probably three sermons worth in our reading from Lamentations alone. Today we read the one hopeful piece of that entire book of scripture, Lamentations is a book of lament, a book of mourning, a book of suffering, and in the middle of it, the part we read, the writer is giving thanks for God's mercies. And that's not the point for today. Our psalm for today, Psalm 30, brings up images of songs and life, of answered prayers. One of my most favorite contemporary Christian songs, Your Love Never Fails, Pulls from Psalm 30, particularly verse 5, calling out to God and declaring that joy comes in the morning. And that's not the point for today. In our reading from Paul, from 2 Corinthians, Paul writes what is basically a stewardship letter. It's the first stewardship letter in Scripture to the church in Corinth, giving thanks for their faith and their love and their abundance and particularly their generosity and their call to share that abundance with those in need. And that's not the point for today. Every week, the Holy Spirit and I grapple with Scripture together. Each week, through research and prayer and listening, I grapple 
with God's word, praying that I might bring God's word to you, asking myself, which sermon will I preach this week? How might I not overdo it? Where might I focus? What can I hone in on and not get overwhelmed in? Usually, with so many different directions from the other readings, I'll just focus in on the gospel text, like our reading from Mark. The issue is, is that Mark didn't have a supervisor or a spouse to ask the question, which sermon do you want to preach? Jesus didn't have someone there saying, now Jesus, don't try to do too much. Focus. Don't get overwhelmed. I mean, he sort of did, but he didn't listen to them. Our gospel reading from Mark today is so rich with good news, with hope, with healing, resurrection. It's two different healing stories, and I can't focus on only one. I can't hone in on one without the other. I'm not able to follow that good advice. The truth is, we can tell ourselves in all aspects of our lives, whether that be in our work, our volunteering, our families, our interests, we might tell ourselves, don't do too much. Focus. Don't get overwhelmed. But sometimes the need of someone else is greater than our plans. Sometimes we have to juggle. In life, we can't always have that level of control. Interruptions happen. Jesus is first interrupted by Jairus, the synagogue leader. Surrounded by crowds, Jesus hears the cry for healing from Jairus for his daughter. And already, Jesus is probably tired. He's just crossed the Sea of Galilee again. And he's been speaking in front of a large crowd again. But the leader of the synagogue, someone that people knew, called out to Jesus, believing that Jesus could truly heal his dying daughter. That desperation, that suffering, that hope in this man. So Jesus goes with him, maybe feeling a bit tired from doing so much, but focused, somehow not overwhelmed by the request, or by the crowd, and the crowd follows. Because even when we try not to do too much, sometimes those things we're avoiding, or those people we're waiting to interact with, that appointment or that pain we've been putting off, it's still there. And sometimes those things interrupt our focus. Because our reading from Mark is not just another account of Jesus' healing. It's a story of interruption. The story of a woman who has been suffering for more than a decade, enduring much under many physicians of pain and of sorrow, I'm sure many of us can relate to the desperation, the suffering, and the hope. This woman, part of the crowd listening to Jesus, sees him, and she knows, she just knows, that if she reaches out and but touches his cloak, Something will happen. Her life will change. And so she reaches. And immediately, her pain disappears, her suffering disappears, and Jesus stops moving. Here they are, focused on their ministry. It's time to go heal the synagogue leader's daughter, but Jesus has stopped walking. Who touched my clothes? He asks. And his disciples hold back a slight chortle that escapes from them. Don't you see the crowd? How can you ask that? We've got to get going, Jesus. You can't do too much. You need to focus. Don't get overwhelmed by what's going on around you. 
here's some of those people trying to give Jesus this good advice, and here he is ignoring them. There in the interruption, in someone reaching out to Jesus in the midst of desperation and suffering is hope, is Jesus reaching back. That Jesus is there for both the synagogue leader in his desperation and the unnamed woman in her suffering, two very different people, both who feel like the suffering in their lives might be too much to bear, both trying desperately to focus but unable to because of fear for themselves or their loved ones. The unnamed woman, her 12-year hemorrhage likely made her unclean, exiled from her community for more than a decade. Both she and Jairus, overwhelmed by their desperation, filled with the hope that Jesus could be there in their interruptions, interruption from Jesus' preaching, interruption from his first interruption, and Jesus stops. Jesus listens. And Jesus proclaims new life. When Jesus says to the unnamed woman, your faith has made you well, a more accurate translation is, your faith has saved you. Your faith has given you new life. When Jesus arrives at the home of Jairus, the synagogue leader, the people are filled with so much sorrow that they laugh at his message of hope. But Jesus brings new life to a little girl. He brings life with the words, get up, little girl, get up, child of God, get up. And she gets up, she walks about, she is alive again. Whether it be sermon writing, your work, your volunteering, your family, your life, of course, of course it's good advice to try not to do too much, to stay focused, to not get overwhelmed. But sometimes we just are unable to follow that good advice. Sometimes for good things that God calls us to, and sometimes because we are in the midst of that suffering and that sorrow. Sometimes we let the suffering we or those we love experience exhaust us and drain us of hope. Maybe you have endured much under many physicians and are already done doing anything more. Maybe you are being pulled in too many different directions, followed by a crowd of needs. But that can't be the point for you today. Maybe with all those different directions, you're unsure of how to focus. Sometimes we let the busyness of our lives and our distractions take over us. Maybe you have found yourself stopped, looking around for what's next. Maybe you would rather tune out the world through the many different ways we can distract ourselves, but that can't be the point for you today. Maybe you are just feeling overwhelmed. Maybe it's an overwhelming desperation for healing, for peace, for your own needs to simply be met. Maybe it's the overwhelming heartbreak listening to the news. Between families waiting to be reunited across continents, journalists fearing for their lives in their own offices, or the person experiencing homelessness on your own street corner, the brokenness and suffering in our world can be overwhelming. And that can't be the point for you today. Because in all of that, in all that suffering, that desperation, in all of that unfocused, overwhelmed heartbreak, in all our distractions and our interruptions, Jesus is reaching out, is reaching back to us with hope. That is the point for us today. That is the point for you today. That is the point. 
Jesus is the point. On the cross, Jesus dies to bring hope, bring hope back to this overwhelming world, to make that point for the entire world. Jesus rises from the dead, conquers sin and death to give us new life, to bring new life, new healing, new hope, and new joy to our mourning, to each and every one of us, so that in our suffering, we might be distracted by Christ's healing, so that in our desperation, we might be interrupted by Christ's joy, so that in our heartbreak, we might be overwhelmed by the hope that Jesus brings us. And in that hope, in that joy, in that healing, in that interruption, we can share the abundance of life that we have been given with others. What is the point today? What sermon do you want to preach? What good news is God calling you to share? What interruption is God making in your life? Children of God, get up. No, no, really, get up, stand up. If you are able, children of God, sons and daughters of our Lord, get up. Because God's interruptions interrupt and distract and pull us in one direction. And that direction is hope in the midst of suffering life, in the midst of death. That direction is Jesus. The writer of Lamentation prays, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Lord, great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, so therefore I will hope in him. I invite you to join us, dear brothers and sisters, in hoping, in healing, and in singing our hymn of the day. Thank you.